Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Hello, friends and family, and welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. Today's episode is all about spinal stenosis, an incredibly common condition, and it's responsible for an awful lot of back and leg pain, as well as even neck and arm pain. Joining Dave and myself is Mr. Alexander Montgomery, consultant orthopedic spinal surgeon. He talks us through exactly what spinal stenosis is, why you can have it but not have any symptoms at all, what the best treatments are for it, and what your surgical options are are for it if conservative management isn't working. We also discuss the different types of injections that are often used in the management of back pain. As a reminder, if you are enjoying these episodes or know someone who needs to hear this information, whether that's a friend or family member or a patient that you're treating with back pain, please share it with them. It really helps us out. You may also wish to join our associated Facebook group, the Sciatica and Back Pain Support Group, where you can join nearly 4,000 other like-minded people sharing their best exercises, top tips, clinician recommendations and much more. But for now, I'll leave you to sit back and enjoy the latest episode. Take care. Welcome back to another episode of the Back Pain Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Mr. Alex Montgomery, consultant trauma and orthopedic spinal surgeon. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. So today we're discussing spinal stenosis, as you heard from that introduction. Can we kick us off by, in your words, explaining to us what actually is spinal stenosis? Uh, Yeah, so like a lot of medical terms, it comes from Greek. And stenosis basically means a narrowing. So if if you were to look up your body, you know, from your feet to your head, the spinal canal is kind of round like that, and it has nerves going through it. So instead of it being round, it's kind of more like severe stenosis can be like that moderate like that and mild stenosis is just a narrowing so it's basically a narrowing and it's a narrowing in the zone where there are nerves and it happens slowly over time uh, and uh, your nerves adapt so actually you might have it for some time uh, without realizing in just one day it tips over the edge and the nerves start complaining so they start causing symptoms so that's essentially what uh, stenosis is and narrowing of your spinal canal. So it's where all those those main nerves of the spinal cord that kind of run from your, you know, the base of your brain all the way down to kind of your tailbone, that the, the space which they're in reduces effectively and they get pinched. Is that the way you'd describe it or irritated? Yeah, so it depends what it is really. So first of all, your spinal cord obviously comes from your brain uh, and it goes down and about halfway down your body uh, around the low end of your ribs it becomes something called cordoquina, which in Latin means horse's tail. And so it's literally that. It goes from, it goes from spinal cord, which, which is a kind of tube-like structure, to basically like a horse's tail. It's like nerve, nerves which are kind of floating in fluid. Um, so stenosis above that region would compress the spinal cord. Below the, your rib cage, it, call, it presses on the nerves. Now, if it's a mild compression, it'll cause irritation and may or may not cause symptoms. If it's kind of moderate, it'll cause impingement. And then obviously if it's severe, it'll really squash the nerves. Um, and so uh, you can actually go years uh, with having some mild or moderate compression and not actually realize you've got it. Um, and then one day it just triggers off by you falling over or something and it gets a bit inflamed and suddenly the whole cycle starts. 
And can it happen anywhere along the spinal cord, you know, from the neck, kind of the mid-back, the lower back, can it happen anywhere? Yeah, I mean, it can in theory happen anywhere, but um, as, as I'm sure you guys know, the most common areas are in the lower lumbar region. So lower lumbar being the base of your spine uh, and the mid-cervical region, so halfway up your neck, so it's what we call C5, 6 or C6, 7. Um, so those are the most common areas. The most common of those is, is L5, S1 and L4, 5, which is basically the base of your spine. Um, and um, the symptoms you get from that are generally, if it's central stenosis, the central narrowing of the canal is when you start walking, you start feeling symptoms in your legs. So it can be numbness, it can be pins and needles, it can be heaviness, it might even be pain in the legs. And specifically, it stops when you, uh, when you stop. Um, and so it's quite a specific symptoms. Generally, when you're sitting, when you're standing still or doing nothing, you don't get symptoms. Uh, in your neck, it's quite different. Um, you can get stenosis or narrowing, which is just indenting or pushing on the spinal cord. And actually, you feel absolutely nothing. And you can feel absolutely nothing for years and years, maybe even a decade. Um, when it starts, uh, and the spinal cord adapts, basically. When it stops adapting, you can sometimes get a mixture of symptoms, but it might be your balance. It might be that your arms start losing a bit of power, like you start dropping things. It might be that you feel a bit of weakness in your legs. So that can be a little bit more worrisome when you do get it. Yes, that can obviously be a bit scary then for patients who, who are kind of ex experiencing that. So what then, obviously that spinal cord narrows, you know, beyond, beyond normal. What can cause the narrowing? I mean, is, that, is it bone? Is it ligament? Is it, is it something else that causes it? Or does it depend? Uh, no, generally it's, it can be, a, it's often a mixture of things. So uh, firstly, to say that, you know, sadly for all of us from our early 20s, the reality is uh, the discs and the joints do start their process of what we call wearing down. Actually, it's a misnomer because it doesn't wear down, it wears up. So what happens is your facet joints get bigger to cope with stress uh, and your ligaments, uh, there's a ligament there called the yellow ligament, gets bigger as well. Um, and your discs, which are the bits between the bones, the kind of hollows of the cushions between the bones, they can start bulging. So what happens is they, when the bones and the ligaments grow and get bigger as you get older, they can actually grow in towards the nerve and cause that narrowing. And that's the most common cause. Uh, most commonly, it's, it's the joint, you know, the bits of bone you have in your back that you can feel and the ligament that enlarges and narrows the space. Sometimes you have a disc which bulges out, you know, the cushion between the bone bulges out. So normally it's those things. It's rarely, uh, rarely anything else. Uh, and, you know, like I said, rarely you can get other sort of uh, un very uncommon things which compress the nerves, but by far the most common is that. And, you know, it's a natural process. So to see a bit of narrowing in someone's spine is actually, you know, aged, let's say, for our argument's sake, 50, 60, 70, is actually, you know, that's pretty normal. That's the important thing uh, for people to know. And I think that's, a, that's an important takeaway because I'm sure there are a lot of people that have had an MRI scan for another reason, say, and it might have come back or they've read the report, you know, from the radiologist and it said, some some canal narrowing at some point but they might not have any symptoms so that is an i mean are you saying that's a, a not a very common normal thing and it's nothing to usually be worried about and uh yeah i'd say even from your 40s onwards it's, it's normal to have some kind of wear and tear or narrowing or what they call degeneration which is a, a kind of bad term for something that's a normal time related change um and that's why if you do get a scan it's best 
seeing your specialist first before reading the report, because you might look at it and go, oh my God, because the reports can be quite long. And you kind of, it goes L3, 4, degeneration, L4, 5 is terrible, L5, S1 is this. And you think, oh my God, I'm, and then the spinal surgeon sees you and goes, you're fine, you just need some rehab, you know. Um, so a lot of these changes are just normal changes that occur to all of us. It's just part of, just part of aging. And most of the time your body adapts. And that's why conversely, actually, as you get older, it's, it's more important to uh, get better mobility and to build your strength as you get older, because you've got, you're less reliant on the cushions in your back. The, you know, when you're in your late teens or twenties, you think you're invincible basically because the, the discs or the cushions in your back are just brilliant. Uh, and then as you get older, they get a bit hard and they become more like a mat rather than a cushion. So you're a lot more reliant on uh, your muscles, your ligaments, your general mobility to, to help take the load off your spine. And if you don't have that mobility and strength and stability, then basically it starts putting stress on your facet joints, the bits of bone in your back and the discs. And, and that's when they can bulge and start, um, they can start pinching on the nerves or causing central stenosis. Fantastic. Thank you. So then talking about then those symptoms, if you go a little bit deeper into kind of the symptoms that people experience, you know, with this, you know, should we call it symptomatic spinal stenosis kind of, you know, as opposed to just, just having narrowing, you're yeah. saying they get pain when they're walking. So, and you know, is that sciatica or is that just back pain or does it, does it change? Yeah. So actually the first sign is probably back pain uh, because by definition, um, you know, people, uh, when the facet joints wear down, like I said, it's a bit of a misnomer because they get bigger. Uh, <clears throat> when when they wear wear down, they hypertrophy or get bigger. It can cause uh, pain in the back, so that's actually often one of the first symptoms. And it's it's often pain in what we call extension. So when you're leaning back, and it tends to be relieved when you're leaning forward. So uh, that's one of the first symptoms, and then you can start getting symptoms. Uh, in your leg, which, like I said, can be bits of numbness, can be bits of heaviness. You can get, you know, even sciatic-type pains down the leg. But it's not like your classic sciatica where you're sitting in a chair and you're getting you know, sharp pain going down your legs. It's quite different. It's kind of movement-related. And you often see people who have central stenosis use a support to bend forward or their natural posture is just a slight flex posture because they're just opening up the spinal canal themselves but, uh, and freeing up some space. Now, if you went back again, you kind of narrow it back down again. So often people, you'll see people in the supermarket with a shop, you know, leaning on the shopping trolley. My favorite story is the postman that came to see me who, um, <clears throat> you know, he was getting stenotic or stenosis symptoms well, when he was posting letters in people's post box and he thought, oh God, what am I going to do? And his son told him to go and try on a bike. And he got on the bike and of course he was in a flex position. He was brilliant. He was going everywhere without any symptoms. Um, and so that's, that's, my, that's the kind of classic way to understand stenosis. You might be fine, completely fine riding on a bike, but not so fine walking. Well, one of the classic um, things we were always taught was, the, um, uh, was, as you said, the shopping trolley. You know, your, people will come to you, and I've actually had patients say that. They'll come in and say, you know, it's bizarre. I can walk around Tesco's without a, a, any problems at all. But as soon as I walk to the car carrying the bags, you know, I have to stop every 10 meters and, uh, and kind of stretch off a bit. So that, that, that's a very common symptom, we, you know, which we see. Can you explain why that happens? So why when you're walking normally, it, it builds up? Yeah, it's kind of easier with a diagram, really. But uh, so you have the spinal canal. We can link to a diagram. So yeah, so you have the spinal canal, which is around, there's a tube there going through. And around it is ligament. 
uh, around the top. Now, the ligament, as we know, gets bigger as you get older and as, as wear and tear. Fine. And when, when you go backwards like that, that ligament folds in and pushes on the spinal, on the nerves. When you lean forward, it kind of stretches open again. It's like an elastic effect. So, you know, lean back, it pinches on the nerve, on the nerves, lean forwards, it kind of opens up and lets the pressure off again. And it's quite common actually that people who have kind of moderate stenosis, they come in here and I look at them and they're kind of, they're not, you know, their side posture isn't, isn't like that, it's kind of like that. And they haven't noticed, you know, and you just tip them that way and they go, oh, you know. And they, so when they lean backwards, it will trigger their symptoms a bit, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, and obviously if you have severe stenosis, a severe narrowing, then people are, you know, I've had people, I've had people come at nearly 90 degrees into this room before, you know, because that's the only position they can actually mobilize them. Um, and obviously a lot of effects on the mechanics of your back, as you guys know. So even when you've done surgery to open the spinal canal or decompress it, as we call it, um, you know, it takes some time with the rehab to get, get the muscles, ligaments and joints back to normal. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's why uh, going back, uh, that's the first reason, actually. The second reason is that, as you guys know, when you go back into extension, the facet joints kind of lock on each other more and because the facet joints, the bits of bone you can feel when you put pressure on your back, um, are involved in stenosis, they're part of the thing narrowing it, that puts a bit of extra pressure on the facet joint as well and can give a, a kind of catching pain in the back as well. So, so that slight angle forwards, that slight lean forwards that we might see in patients or you might see in yourself, it's, rather than being pushed forwards by the spine, it's almost as a, as a compensation, it's a... To try, uh, you're doing it to try and open up and find a comfortable position rather than being forced forward by another force. Yeah, absolutely. You're not forced forward by anything, but you know, you walk, you're just walking around and your body has worked out, you've worked out that if you bend slightly, that relieves your symptoms. And actually, as we all know, people come in with bad posture anyway. So many people, especially with lockdown and everything, and they don't realize when you say to them, oh, you know, you should be up here somewhere, you should be like that. They go, oh, gosh, I hadn't realized. And people don't realize they're slightly flexed. Um, and, you know, as you know, like when we have pain, whether it's in your shoulder or leg or whatever, you do, you make an adaptation to get rid of the pain. You might be rotated. You might be putting your arm down, you know. Uh, you might you limp, know. you know, that's a common one that people will think, yeah. We naturally have adaptations and, and um you know, and, and people with stenosis often get confused because they're often told, oh, you should sit upright, the classic kind of, I mean, it's more complicated than that, as you know, having good posture is more than just sitting upright because actually that sometimes is not, not the position you should be in. Uh, but they're told you should sit upright. And then when they sit upright, their symptoms come up and they're better leaning forward. So sometimes people get confused about, you know, what's the right position for them. I mean, yeah, they shouldn't, you shouldn't be walking around with a bent posture, but actually when you have... Uh, stenosis that's sometimes you know the most comfortable and, and sometimes the only position you can be in mm. that, that actually brings us on nicely then to a question which i had we had on our facebook group um about this when i said we were talking about spinal stenosis do we have any questions someone mm. said you know should i walk through the pain so you know when they're walking and they've got that you know pain you know whether that's sciatic type pain whether it's tingling whether it's numbness should they then push through it to carry on or would you advise that they kind of stop frequently, which obviously can be quite, you know, very interruptional of what they're trying to do? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so I, I would say it depends what the pain is. 
Um, so uh, facet-related pain or pain from muscle spasms, as you guys know, facet-related pain tends to be a lot more localized. You can feel it to one spot in your back. Uh, sometimes it radiates a bit. Muscle spasm is a general you know, ache and tightness in the back. And then you have nerve pain, which is more nerve-like, like sharper pain. It can be burning or, you know, it's a sharper defined pain. Uh, I think if people are doing exercises like rehab-based exercises or walking, then I would say it's okay to um, to try and push through the kind of facet pain or the, the must, you know, the tightness or ache you get from muscle spasm. I think nerve pain, you need to be a bit careful because you can, you can, I think doing some damage is a bit of a broad term, but uh, you can inflame the nerve, and once it gets inflamed, sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't. The inflammation doesn't settle, um, and so it can really fire up a cycle where the nerve gets swollen, inflamed, then you get tight, then um, then you know, move more, and because you don't move more, it gets weaker and tighter, and then you go around in a cycle like that. Mm. Um, and so, when people come to me like that, my job is first to break that cycle. Um, you know, which is that, that pain causing restriction, causing more pain kind of cycle. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the main thing. That's where anti-inflammatories and, and uh, steroids come in. Perfect. No, that's a, a really good thank you for answering that. Um, I guess then before we come on to treatment, um, which obviously is something you see on a, on a treat on a regular basis, can we talk a little bit about kind of potential risk factors or complications with uh, with spinal stenosis? You know, there are a few conditions which you know are uh, are, are an emergency. I don't know we've spoken to them about about it before. Can you know, spinal stenosis cause things like cauda equina syndrome or conus medullaris syndrome and and things like that? Yeah. So so first of all, it can cause uh, weakness. So um, <clears throat> if it presses, uh, if it impinges on say a, a lumbar, a low back nerve root, it can cause a foot drop or even weakness in your knee. So foot drop is when, you know, you're kind of walking around with your foot and unable to lift it up and you, you kind of feel a slapping on, on the ground. And sometimes you only feel that when you've been walking for a period of time. So that's uh, kind of the fatigue that happens in the muscles. Um, you can get it in your neck as well. And, and again, that can cause weakness in the arms or the legs. So that's the first thing. Uh, so you can get quadriquina type symptoms. Now that's when it squashes the nerves, the bowel and bladder as well. Uh, that's an emergency. So uh, cauda can be caused by either a disc prolapse or the cushion between bones suddenly prolapsing out and causing an acute or a sudden cauda Or it can be a slow process, which is stenosis, which happens over years or decades. And so your, your nerves adapt because it's happening slowly, your nerves adapt. And so actually you can, like you said, you could, I could take a scan of someone who fell down the stairs and he said, oh, I've got a bit of back pain after falling down the stairs. I do a scan and you find severe stenosis. And the guy hasn't, hasn't said, I'd heard anything because the nerves have adapted over time. But sometimes it tips over the edge and it can cause this quarter of quina, which can start as numbness around the groin region. Uh, you might find you go into the toilet more often. Uh, you might find you can't pee and then you might find you're incontinent of bowel or bladder. So that's the main thing. The main thing to know about that is that you have to go to A&E if you think you're getting those symptoms. And the reason you have to go to A&E is because if, if you do have that, you have, there's, there's a debate about how much time you have, but I would say eight to 12 hours to have an operation to relieve the pressure. Otherwise, the effect on your bowel and bladder is probably permanent. So that's, that's a, a kind of real emergency. So the first tip is go to a, a hospital where you know there are spine surgeons, because if you go to one that doesn't, you're going, to, you're going to waste two or three of those eight to 10 hours 
been transferred for another hospital and probably another hour waste, waiting for the MRI scan. So make sure you go to one that, to a hospital that has spinal surgeons in it. That's a really interesting tip, actually. And, and we did a whole, a whole episode last week um, with a specialist physiotherapist on, on Cordroquina. Um, and he went into detail onto all the symptoms. But one thing we didn't mention was when you go to an A&E, make sure there are spinal surgeons there. So that's a very interesting, uh, interesting takeaway. So thank you for that, Do it. No, I'll tell you why, because, uh, you know, I, in my, I do private practice here at the Shane Clinic, but I work in the NHS at Barts in London. And um, we have a big spinal service, but we're often taking calls from elsewhere uh, in smaller hospitals where they've admitted people with quadraquina and I know that sometimes it takes a number of hours, sometimes five or six, to get them across uh, because you've got to wait for an ambulance. And especially now, uh, there's no, there's, there's, there's not a great deal of spare ambulances running around it. Um, so that's actually a really, really important point. point. No, thank you for that. Um, so let's move on to then onto treatment for this. So, you know, there's a, a wealth of treatment for kind of spinal stenosis, you know, kind of going from the conservative right up to kind of surgical management. Can you take us through some of those from kind of first line to kind of, you know, what, what you do? Yeah, exactly. So obviously, uh, physio, osteo, chiro have a massive role. And uh, for mild to moderate stenosis, I'd say most of the time people get over the, symptom, the initial symptoms they get. Uh, through rehab of those means. I'm a great fan of reformer Pilates. Uh, any, anything that involves movement, uh, getting better range movement, uh, strength, stabilization, anything that basically offloads the pressure on that particular area. That's why people get back pain from sitting for too long because you're basically stressing the same point. You want to get moving, get mobile in those ways, um, do as much low-impact exercise as possible. Um, and then obviously resistance training is... Is good to build that strength. But you have to you have to moderate it and do it with the right techniques and with the right people. Um, obviously, in some people that doesn't work. It doesn't it doesn't tend to work for severe stenosis when there's very severe narrowing. Um, in some people that doesn't work, and you might be a candidate for a steroid injection. Uh, obviously, with the conservative therapy, we try anti-inflammatories or anti-inflammatories. Some people can't take them. Uh, uh, there's regular paracetamol that helps. There are also drugs. Uh, such as one called amitriptyline, where they're kind of nerve drugs, where they, if you like, they bathe the nerves. It works in about sort of 35 to 40% of people to help the symptoms. Um, so you have those options. So if that doesn't work and symptoms are continuing, you do have the option of a steroid injection. Uh, now, a steroid injection for central narrowing is less effective than for narrowing that occurs as, as the branches of the nerves come out. So that's an important distinction to make because um, when, when it's like a tree trunk, you've got the central bit and you've got the bits coming out. If the narrowing is in the center, the injections are a bit less, uh, are a bit less effective. Uh, if there's pinching on one of the branches, they tend to be more effective. Uh, <clears throat> so there's, all, there's a big misunderstanding about steroid injections, both amongst uh, you know, the public and also uh, amongst doctors and, and uh, a rehab specialist. Um, and so what is the point of them is actually is exactly what I said uh, earlier is that, you know, let's say you've had stenosis building up over the years and then suddenly you fall over or you lift something or you sneeze and then suddenly you get in, you know, it, it uh, gets inflamed, it gets bruised and then you're getting all these symptoms that we talked about. And you come to me, we do a scan and I tell you, oh, these, the, the changes look like they've been there for 10 years. And you say, well, how, you know, why have they just come on now? Well, the answer is most of the time, it's just something is triggered off 
inflammation in your body, what we call an uh, inflammatory cascade, where the inflammatory chemicals build up and they start irritating the nerve, they start irritating the joints and suddenly everything starts hurting. And uh, most of the time, as we know, with all around inflammatories and going to see a chiro osteophysio, that settles down. Um, but sometimes it doesn't and the inflammation stays there and you can't move. And if you can't move and get better range and better strength, then you can't, uh, you can't get better. So the, it's a kind of cycle. And actually often you get worse. So the steroid injection is there to break that cycle, reduce swelling inflammation uh, and uh, sensitivity around the nerve and the disc and the joint and allow you to move to try and, you know, get some benefit from the rehab. Um, and sometimes you need a second one and then the further cycle. Uh, I tend to go for two cycles of that. So people have had tried the rehab. They've had an injection, further rehab, another injection, further rehab. You know, sometimes often five, six months down the line there. Um, if that doesn't work, then surgery uh, is an option. Um, if you've just got it at one level in your spine, then in general, for me, it's a, you know, it's a very small incision. It's like, you know, that big in your back, a tiny incision. Uh, it's a 45 to minute to 60 minute operation. And what we tend to do is, um, uh, well, I can show you actually, uh, what we tend to do is... We, we are on audio though, so most people listen to this on audio, so they might not be able to see it. So <laughs> it might be a little, little bit challenging. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, so um, uh, what we tend to do is basically shave the bits of bone and, um, and ligament that are causing uh, causing the compression. And you, we know there is a certain amount you can shave before it's, it's too much. So we, there are studies that have shown us how much we can take off. So people often, one of the most common questions people say is, is, is that not, is that going to harm me shaving bits of bone and ligament mm -hmm. off? Well, we know how much we're allowed to take off uh, is the answer through certain studies. And so you're basically opening up the channels. You're, you're reshaping it to the shape it was before. And, uh, yeah. hmm. I was going to say, so, so obviously you, you'll shave off whatever is causing the, the, the biggest reduction in space. So that might be a disc, that could be a bit of the facet joint, could be the ligament, whatever you feel is the most poignant, you know, thing, you'll go and tidy it up effectively. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it is tight. It's a bit of, you know, some older, some of the older surgeons call it gardening. Uh, you know, we basically shave it <laughs> like a bit of disc. Gardening, like that. Yeah, a bit of ligament. Um, and basically open the channel up so it's it's um, uh, it's you know so that it's not narrow anymore. And you know when nerves have been squashed for a while, um, they uh, they tend to be bruised. So it does take time for the nerves to settle down. And of course your muscles will be tighter and weaker because of the nerve compression. So you've got to get through that period. So there's a lot of secondary effects. You've got to get your joints moving better. So there's a lot of secondary effects you then need to address um, following the. You know, following the decompression yeah. or spinal canal again. Uh, I mean, we're not talking a game of inches here. Are we? It must be millimeters that you're you're shaving off your your gardening to um, to create that space again. Um, or can it be quite large? Uh, both, actually. <clears throat> so uh, you know, I've seen people with severe uh, pain with just you know a small, a few millimeters bit of bone pinching on the nerve. You know, like if you like the tip mm. of the pen. I've gone in before and literally shaved the equivalent of a tip of a pen and come back out and they've woken up pain-free. And at the same time, there are, there's obviously all the in-betweens. At the same time with severe stenosis where it's really very narrowed, 
um, you know, you might have to shave a considerable amount of bone and ligament. Uh, but, you know, again, you're not talking that much. You're talking about, you know, five millimeters here, 10 millimeters here. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, in that segment of the spine, it's a, it's a reason that. So sometimes it can be really very minimal. And the size of the compression doesn't necessarily match the pain level. So if it's a, a sharp bit of osteophyte, you know, an osteophyte's a bit of bone, extra bone that grows on bone as you get older. Uh, if it's a sharp bit of bone poking on the nerve and it's just like the size of the tip of a pen, it can be really painful. Um, you can have a large disc prolapse, um, which is, you know, the, the disc is the cushion between the bones. You can have a large one causing mild to moderate pain. So it, it doesn't match the size. It's actually, you know, a nerve is like a live electrical structure. So if it's got something sharp poking into it and annoying it, it can be very painful. And, and, and I'm sure many people listening to this will be very acutely aware of how painful that can be when something irrita irritates a, a one, you know, one of one of your spinal nerves. Yeah. Can I bring you back to kind of the injections and something just to clear up, which a, a, some people listening may be wondering. You you know mentioned calling them steroid injections. Is that the same as an epidural? So when you know you put that you know needle into the spinal cord and inject a steroid, is that the the same thing as an epidural compared to a nerve block? Can you kind of clear up differences between that? So basically, first of all, the uh, steroid injection can be done in a number of ways, but it's generally done uh, under sedation. And uh, generally, my patients prefer under sedation rather than just a local anaesthetic in the skin. Sedation isn't general anaesthetic. Patients often ask about that. It's a bit like getting four glasses of wine or four beers all at once. Uh, so it kind of <laughs> makes you feel a little bit drowsy and you feel quite happy and you start talking rubbish, to be honest, when, when they have a bit of sedation. Um, uh, but it means you don't feel very much at all. You feel nothing. You do it under x-ray. Uh, they generally are very quick. They take five to eight minutes to do. Um, and uh, there are different types, like you said. So um, a steroid injection can be uh, a nerve root injection. So an injection of the nerve to relieve uh, the swelling and inflammation around the nerve. That A nerve root injection is also called a foraminal epidural. Uh, so it has a different term. You might hear that. Um, you can do an injection on the facet joint if you're getting back pain. So the joint is, again, that bit of bone on your, that you feel when you press on your back. Um, and um, that, that's a different type of injection. Unfortunately, that also has a different name called a medial branch block. So you might see that. That's a medial branch block. So you might see medial branch block on a form or a suggestion on a letter from a doctor. Or it might be called a facet block. So that's the second one. And then the third one is, like you said, a caudal epidural, which is the one most people are familiar with, which is done historically a lot more in the past on its own. I, I cannot remember a time when I've done a caudal epidural on its own. So a caudal epidural is basically when you put the needle at the base of your sacrum, uh, so right where your pelvic bone is, um, you know, as you go down your back, and it basically flushes up your spine. It's not into the nerves. Um, it's, it's around the nerves and it's very non-specific. So I tend to do only do it as an adjunct to other things. So I might, if someone has compression of, let's say one of the nerves in the lower spine, let's call it the L5 nerve. I'll do an L5 nerve injection and a caudal epidural just to back it up. Um, and you might do a facet injection as well. Um, but there are different terminologies, so it's a bit confusing. So you know, I've had patients say to me, oh, I didn't have a nerve root injection. I had a foraminal epidural. That's actually the same thing. It's just called something different. Mm. Or they might say, I, I didn't have a medial branch block. I had a facet injection. Those are pretty much the same thing as well. Um, 
So it's a little bit confusing like that because there are different terminologies out there for the same thing. That's really helpful. And that's something which on our Facebook group, a lot of people have very much had the same discussion, which you've just had, where they've said, oh, no, actually, I had this. I had a medial branch block. And someone else says, oh, you should ask for a facet joint injection, you know, that type of you know, discussion. So that kind of clears it up really nicely with those three kind of distinct categories, I guess. Uh, just to add about facet injections and medial branch blocks, they are basically the same thing. Now, uh, what happened historically was that uh, we did a lot of facet injections for back pain because, you know, the surgery tended to, tend for, for back pain, not leg symptoms, tends to be quite big. And they're only, it's only really very effective in, in a, a minority of people. Um, so we tend to do a lot of injections to help the, um, help the rehab. But unfortunately, historically, especially when NHS waiting lists are very long, people are doing a lot of facet injections without the rehab. And so that form got a bad name. So they then said that you can't do facet injections. You should do a medial branch block, which is the pain nerve, which goes to the facet joint. And the difference is that you're basically testing to see if that's where the pain comes from. And if that is where the pain comes from, you can then do something called radiofrequency ablation, which is basically where you stick a needle on the facet joint and you attach it to a radiofrequency machine. And that has a better chance of giving you longer term relief. So that's why those two terminologies kind of uh, exist now. Mm, that's really interesting. Thank you. Um, so again, the golden question then, which kind of you know rounds us off nicely, is what's the prognosis? You know, does that largely depend on the level of stenosis? You know, is this something which you know the vast majority of people, if they go down the surgical route, are better, more people better with conservative management? You know, are you aware of any figures that can uh, help guide us? Yeah, so it's a bit completely broken up into the lower back one, so lumbar stenosis and the neck one, cervical stenosis. So we'll start with the lower back. So uh, like I said, most people get away with that surgery um, until it becomes significant enough. So if it's moderate or moderate to severe, you might get symptoms. And once they start, they are a bit resistant to treatment. Like a lot of people... 80% uh, of people probably get better if it's mild to moderate, but once it's been there for a number of months, let's say five or six months, it tends to linger on. Um, and then, so what determines how well you do from surgery? Well, actually, the number of levels is is probably one of the biggest factors from a surgical point of view. And I say surgical because there's medical as well. So you might have uh, had a heart attacks, so you might have asthma, you might have diabetes. So obviously your risk of anesthetics can be higher if you have some of those things. But from a surgery point of view, from getting rid of your symptoms, getting rid of your pain, probably the biggest factor with stenosis is the number of levels that are affected. And your, your doctor or surgeon will tell you, oh, you've got L4-5 or you've got L5-S1 or you've got three levels. So the prognosis for a one level is, is very good. It's, it's near 90% in terms of getting, you know, uh, significantly improving or getting rid of the symptoms. And <clears throat> it tends to drop by about 5 to 10% per level. So if it's 85 to 90% for one level, it'll be 80 to 85 for two level and 75 to 80 for a three level. Uh, so as, as you do more levels, the chance you get rid of all the symptoms do go down. And you know, your classic one is, is someone who, let's say, has some heart problems, has some chest problems, may have diabetes and has a three level. You're then faced with a, you know, can we get away with not doing surgery problem? And if sometimes you end up having to do it because they can't, they can't walk, they can't mobilize. So that's the lumbar. The neck is very different. So if you have central stenosis uh, in the neck, that's spinal cord compression, 
So the only time you do operation for that is, is as if the spinal cord is is suffering. So if you're getting dropping things in your hands, or you're starting to get weakness, or you're starting to get weakness in your legs, you're starting to get balance issues. Um, prognosis in terms of improving that is not great. I have to say, when you do surgery for spinal cord compression, it's to stop it getting worse. That's the most important thing to know. You don't want it to get worse because the, the end product of it getting worse is that you can't walk, basically. So this is to stop at that point and make sure you're not getting worse. If you catch it early enough, um, then these symptoms can improve from that point. But when you get spinal cord compression in the neck, um, there's absolutely no guarantee that it gets better with surgery. It's just stopping it getting worse. Oh, that's a, that's a scary, scary thing then, really. It's about cervical spinal stenosis. And with the, the pain that you get with that as well, you know, is that, is that ever an indication to, to operate on it if someone just has severe kind of upper limb pain? Um, yeah, so that's more of the... So if you're having uh, <clears throat> pain down the arm, <clears throat> that's, that's not from spinal cord compression. Uh, that would be from nerve root compression, so like the branches of the tree. Uh, so that's something different. So if you have associated nerve compression or lateral recess uh, compression, as we call it, um, then that's different. The outcome from relieving the arm pain from the nerve compression is, again, for one level, is about 85% to 90%, and two level, again, about 80 to 85, three, 75 to 80. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it, there is there's, any nerve compression, whether it's in the low, uh, the low back or the, or the neck, uh, when you're relieving that pressure, there are, there are pretty good outcomes, but it does depend how many levels uh, are involved. In general, in spinal surgery, when you, when you have weakness in arms or legs, um, there isn't a guarantee, actually, that surgery makes that better. You're obviously taking the pressure off it <clears throat> and you're giving it a chance to recover. Uh, and also you're stopping it getting worse, but there isn't actually a guarantee the weakness will get better. What surgery is very good at is improving pain pins and needles good and that's so that's a really good good message to finish on then it's a very good good figures and should give people a lot of confidence when they're seeing someone like yourself um you know for pain whether that's stenosis whatever whatever causing is their pain that's got some good some good statistics to give them some confidence so thank you ever so much for chatting to us today um where can people find out more about you i'm sure there's some people who would love to come and see you um where can uh, where can they find you uh, so, name's Alexander Montgomery. I work at the Schoen Clinic, uh, which is S C H O E N Clinic in London. Uh, we do, thanks to uh, the pandemic and the lockdown, uh, all the insurance companies approve Zoom appointments if that's what you want. Um, so, a lot of people who live far away, so I get a lot of people who ask for opinions from far away, uh, you know, around the country. I had one from one or two from the Middle East today. Uh, you can send in your scan, I can have a look at it, we can have a chat on Zoom. That's one option. Uh, or you can come to London. Uh, we're still doing face-to-face -face appointments. Uh, this morning I've had half and half, basically. Half people come in, half on Zoom. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's at the Schoen Clinic in London. Uh, secretary's based here, so if you rang through to the hospital, you'd be able to get through to the secretaries uh, pretty easily. Um, and, yeah, like I said, if uh, well, I get quite a lot of second opinions from around the, you know, around the coast or the countryside. You know, people going for surgery, they're certain have seen them, they... Uh, they just want to check in. They send their scans. They say, well, you know, what do you think? What would you do? Um, so, 
I think the, there's some bright things about the pandemic. I've been trying for years to do virtual appointments and the insurance companies wouldn't let us, but now they do. So uh, a lot easier for everyone. Yeah, we're the same. <laughs> it's been exactly, it's been a, been a, COVID has opened up a lot of doors for a lot of, a lot of different things, you know, lots of awful things, but also some, some good things as well. So I'm very yeah. glad. So people can see you wherever they are, they can, uh, they can, they can get an appointment to see you. So that's wonderful. You know, and well, sometimes, sometimes you have to come in, um, but you know, uh, it's, it's a very useful tool for explaining the scan. So that's one of the big roles of a spinal surgeon is explaining the relevance of the MRI scan to the patient. Uh, because there are a lot of things on there which are not relevant um, and giving an opinion on where the surgery is needed, giving an opinion on how aggressive you can be with your rehab um, and a lot of those you can do on Zoom. Like I said, some, sometimes you have to come in, but you can determine that from the Zoom as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much for joining us. Um, Dave, anything else from you before we uh, wrap up? No, do you know what? There's always a... Um, reoccurring theme with with a lot of the, uh, the specialists that we talk to and uh, Alexander you, you've confirmed it here is that the uh, the size of the bulge protrusion stenotic um, uh, osteophyte whatever it is the size of the issue doesn't always directly compute to pain so on our Facebook group we often have a bit of a a top trumps, not uh, officially, but people say, oh, well, this is my MRI. Look how much bigger that disc bulge is, or, oh, that's tiny compared to mine. You can't be in that much pain. Um, and I think it's really easy because simplistically we'd say, oh, well, this, this, you know, I've got smaller foramen, um, therefore I would have more pain naturally. It's to forget about that. The, the size of the issue doesn't always directly correlate to pain. It, it is independent of that and depending how that's affecting you um so don't compare yourself to other mris or those that you might find on google it's worth talking to the specialists uh, make these zoom appointments um uh, rather than jumping to conclusions like that otherwise yeah yeah no absolutely and you know everyone's the body is a system uh, and everyone's got different biomechanics uh, different strengths different weaknesses different points that are stiff and people are doing different activities every day compared to the other person. So there are different stresses going through your back. So if you put all of those complexities into it, plus your MRI scan, it adds up to something. But it's not just the MRI scan. Mm. Absolutely. You, you are not your MRI, I think, is, a, is, is, is the takeaway line, isn't it? That's a, I've, I've seen yeah. tweets about on, on social media at various, uh, at various yeah. points. Well, thank you ever so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, thank you, Alex, for joining us. That's been a, a, you know, a very interesting chat all about spinal stenosis. So good night. Uh, or good, good good What night? What day are we on? Good afternoon. Two yeah. days, isn't it? Good afternoon. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us. And we will see you soon. Okay, cheers. Thank you. Thank you.